Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good morning. It is uh, good to see so many uh, visitors this morning joining us for Confirmation Sunday. Um, let me see a show of hands, and not just from our visitors, but how many of you in your life have ever made a promise, either to yourself or to somebody else? Show me, show me your hands if you've ever made a promise to somebody or to yourself. I think that's most of us, right? Keep your hands in the air for a second. Keep your hands in the air. Now, how many of you have a perfect track record of keeping said promises, right? 100% of the time, batting 1,000. There are a few of you super holy ones, right? But <laughs> we've all made promises. We've all broken promises. And since it's uh, Mother's Day, I was remembering back to those days uh, when I was a little kid, right? A kid without money uh, who wanted to give his mom something special for Mother's Day. And I remember uh, giving my mom some of those right homemade gift certificates, right, that a lot of kids uh, would give to their mothers for Mother's Day or Christmas, right? right? This certificate entitles you to one, you know, back rub or, or to three vacuumings of the living room or whatever chore that I had been assigned uh, that I or wasn't usually assigned of me. Did anybody else do that or is that just me? <laughs> No? Ashley, you did too? Good. Did you always keep those promises? Did uh, your mom always cash in on those? No, neither did my mom, right? Most moms don't, right? And confirmation students, this year's class of, of 11, you six and, and the five of you who are, are scattered throughout the sanctuary, along with the rest of you, by the way, too, who have been confirmed and confirmed your faith, do you realize that you have made promises to the Lord? This morning, you specifically made three promises to the Lord and to the congregation. Maya, Brody, Clay, Titus, Savannah, Kale, and then the rest of you, right? Your first promise uh, was before, before God and man was that you renounce the devil and all of his works and all of his ways, right? And you loudly did that. And secondly, you promised and you stated your belief in God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then third, you promised to remain faithful to the Lord, to the teachings of the Christian church, to the use of the means of grace, right? And what are those means of God's grace? Talk about his primary means of grace, right, being his word, and then the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as well. And then you shook Pastor Lloyd's hand kind of as a, as a sign of your commitment in keeping those promises. And you've made those promises, and I endeavor, I endeavor to hold you to them. I can't physically pick you up and drag you to church every Sunday, make you be diligent in the use of the means of grace, but I can check in on you and bother you enough either to drive you insane or to drive you back to church, <laughs> one of the two. And I think the congregation can do the same as well. Um, this last few weeks at Maranatha, we've been so, sort of doing a, a mini-series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, two weeks ago on New Members Sunday, Pastor Lloyd led us through the first 10 verses or so of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then last week on our first confirmation service, uh, we looked at verses 18 through 25 and uncovered God's plan to save the world. And that plan centered around the cross. Uh, an instrument of humiliation and torture and death. 
The word of the cross of Jesus is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so it's, it's only natural that we kind of continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. This morning's message and sermon text will pick up right on that theme of the message of the cross and folly and wisdom and apply it directly to not only the confirmation students but to the rest of us as well. So if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 26 and even going into chapter 2, but we'll read just verses 26 through 29 to start off with this morning, and I have uh, them on the screen here. Would you stand with me out of reverence for the word of the Lord if you are able? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, reading in Jesus' name. For, I, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in his presence. We'll pause there. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, it is good to gather together in your house with your people and to hear uh, the testimony of faith, a confirmation of what you have done in the lives of the students and will continue to do throughout their lives. Lord, we pray that you would, like a shepherd, lead each one of them, lead each one of us through our lives and through the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs. Lord, strengthen us, preserve us, and help us to know your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In this uh, section of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there are at least three uh, very important realities that the Apostle Paul wants you, confirmation students, and the rest of us to know as well. Uh, he says, consider this, consider this. And first, in verses 26 through 29, uh, Paul tells us to consider our calling. Consider your calling, brothers. And the word calling uh, used here uh, does not re refer to your jobs or to the vocations uh, that the believers in the church of Corinth had. And oftentimes we talk about our jobs, we talk about our, our, our vocations as a calling of God, and, and we do so rightly. I have been called as a pastor. You have been called by God to be a nurse or a farmer or a grandmother or a student or a fill-in-the-blank, right? And these are indeed holy callings, but here in verse 26, Paul is thinking about more about God's calling of you by grace through the gospel, God's calling of you by grace through the gospel. And there have been a couple of times in chapter 1 where Paul makes this abundantly clear, where he tells the Corinthians that they have been called by grace through the gospel. Uh, verse 2, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. Then in verse 9, he says, you were called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, just before our sermon text began, he says, to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so when Paul asks you to consider your calling, he's not asking you to consider what God has called you to do in your vocations. Instead, Paul is talking about the call of God in our lives by grace through the gospel. He's talking about God's calling you to salvation. And God has, has called this group of, of Christians in, in the church of Corinth to himself, and he calls together to himself a group of 
well, for, for lack of a better term, really strangely normal people. He says at the end of verse 26, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Most people in the Corinthian church were just normal people, laborers, farmers, merchants, middle managers, slaves. Now, if you are, if you are pitching a, a new product or idea, right, whom do you get to promote that product, that idea, that business model? Right? Who do you enlist to be the face of your new idea? You, you get celebrities, you get athletes, you get actors, you get Ivy League grads, you get influencers, right? And, and companies spend billions of dollars each year on advertising. Uh, one source I looked up estimated that in 2021, I know this is kind of small there for you, but in 2021, companies spent over $262 billion in advertising alone, and that number is just going to go up. 2022, this year, they're projected to spend over 286 billion dollars and it just keeps increasing uh, almost exponentially and a lot of that money goes uh, towards paying for the influence who's, who are peddling their product who are being sponsored by those companies companies have learned that we as a society are sheeple right uh, we're willing to purchase a product if we see a particular celebrity endorsing it right uh, remember this guy from back in the day right that's Michael Jordan he's uh, famous for sponsoring Wheaties the thought is Michael Jordan is on the box of Wheaties therefore Wheaties must taste good and I will buy them or uh, Taylor Swift uh, she drinks Diet Coke and so I should too or even uh, Billie Eilish right she uh, collaborates with Adobe and so I should use Adobe software but let's be real right MJ's picture on a box of Wheaties never, ever, ever, ever made them taste good, right? <laughs> ever. I don't know why. I wanted to eat them so much as a kid because he was on the box, but they're terrible. Uh, <laughs> same thing with Taylor Swift and Diet Coke. It doesn't make it any healthier that she's the one drinking it, right? And Eilish's collab with Adobe was only always a money grab for them. But God, in his infinite wisdom and his mercy and his grace, he didn't choose the celebrities, the influencers, the rich, and the famous for the founding of his church. He calls strangely normal people to himself. Fishermen, tax, tax collectors, laborers, merchants, farmers, those sorts of things. He even calls uh, strangely normal 8th grade confirmation students to himself. Take it a compliment that you're strangely normal, okay? It's a good thing, right? God has chosen you and called you through the gospel to believe in Jesus. And what's, what's equally wonderful is that God uses you and uses you as the broken mess that you are to spread the message of the gospel and the message of the cross. Listen to verses 27 and 28 again. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. As we talked about last week, the, we talked about the message of the cross, the message of redemption and, and freedom from sin through the gospel, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that in and of itself, it seems to be folly and foolishness. The cross was, was an instrument of Roman torture. Criminals and slaves were executed on a cross. It was a painful, humiliating death. 
How could that execution device bring salvation? The Jews stumbled over the cross, Paul says, and and the Greeks thought it was absolute absurdity. But yet for us who are being saved, for those who are being saved, beloved, and chosen of God, the message of the cross and the redemption in Jesus' shed blood brings life and brings salvation. Because it was on the cross that Jesus took upon himself all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame. It was credited to his account, laid upon his shoulders. He died for you on the cross, in your place, and on your behalf, paying the debt for you. And through him, through simple faith in him, through simple belief and trust in him, God forgives your sins, separating them from you as far as the east is from the west. God also gives you life in Jesus and adopts you into his family as his own child. He has chosen you. And because God has chosen you, confirmation students, you have no right to boast. Verse 29 says that no human being can boast in the presence of God. What does it mean to boast in God's presence? To boast in God's presence means to, uh, to attempt to show off before God. It means to flaunt your own righteousness and your own good works and good deeds to, to kind of get on God's good side and make him pleased with you. And confirmation students, just because you are confirmed does not mean that you can boast in God's presence. Lord, look at me. Look at how good I am. I am saved. I am confirmed. Look at that. I did my confession there. I'm good. Right? But that's not how it works. Confirmation is not graduation from church. Sorry to burst your bubble on this, but just because you've been confirmed does not mean that you have it all figured out. You do not have all the answers. You do not have, uh, you do not have all the completed checkboxes for your spiritual growth. Confirmation does not mean that now you can co- stop coming to church or youth group. Confirmation is not graduation. It's more like a, uh, a you are here uh, sticker on a map, right? <laughs> Remember, this is uh, actually West Acres Mall, and right, I hate malls. I never go to malls, right? But whenever I go, you have to go to that one specific store, right? And you always park on the wrong side of the store. And so you go and you look for that little pedestal that has the map, and you find the You Are Here sticker, right, on the map, and, and try to figure out where you are. And confirmation is sort of the, the You Are Here on the sticker of the map of your life. You have not yet arrived. You are not done with your spiritual journey. You do not know it all. Confirmation does not give you the right to boast before the Lord. We love you, confirmation students, and we want you to stick around for a long, long time because I believe that God is not done with you. I don't, I don't think he's finished with you. There's a lot more that he wants to do in you and through you. And the local congregation, this church is one of the best places for that. Confirmation students, consider your calling. And we also need to consider the reality that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Look at verses 30 and 31 here. Paul writes, Because of him, because of God, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You are in Christ. 
And as we consider that reality, that wonderful implications of that reality, we also need to notice that it is first and foremost uh, because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ. Literally, the Greek reads, by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ. Maybe some of your Bibles actually translated out that way. Believer, you are in Christ. You have been saved, not because you've earned it or merited it, not because you've been good enough. You're not saved because you've, oops, because you've completed your confirmation instruction and learned enough to pass an entrance exam into heaven. You are in Christ because of his gracious work in your life. He has called you. He has drawn you. He has saved you through his word. In Luther's explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed relating to the, uh, uh, to the Holy Spirit, he says this, It means that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me through his gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and preserved me in true faith. Do you remember that? <laughs> you memorized it at one point in time. You have been saved, believer, not because of your goodness or your merit or your worthiness, but solely because of his doing. By his doing, you have been placed in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ has huge implications for your everyday life. Who are you in Christ This is uh, just a quick survey of some New Testament passages. Uh, There are many more, and Isaiah, you might need to help me scroll through some of these things. We're going to hit them really quick. Listen to this. Listen to who you are, believer, in Christ. You are a child of God. You have eternal life. You are attached to Christ. You have been justified, declared by God to be innocent and forgiven. You are free from sin. You are free forever from the condemnation of the law. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus. You have been placed into Jesus Christ by God's own doing, verse we just looked at. You are a vital member of God's body, the church. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are reconciled to God. You have been made righteous. You are a saint. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have been made alive together with Jesus Christ. You are God's workmanship. That's awesome. Created in Christ Jesus. God is working on you. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all of your sins. Your debt has been canceled. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ himself dwells in you. You are chosen. You are loved. You are redeemed, and you are forgiven. And that, believer, is who you are in Christ. That is your identity. What the world tells you, what Satan accuses you of, the lies that you believe about yourself, they don't matter. You are not not a nobody. Do not let the enemy, the father of lies, deceive you or belittle you. You are in Christ. You are beloved by him. Amen. And therefore, because Christ is in you by your own doing, Jesus Christ has, as Paul said in verse 30, become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And rightly, each one of these uh, words deserves a sermon in and of itself. But Jesus Christ is our wisdom because because through the cross, which uh, which was according to verses 18 through 25, folly to the Greeks, through the cross, God has silenced the so-called wisdom of the world, the message of the cross. 
God has chosen what is low and despised in the world to bring to nothing the things that are. Jesus Christ is your righteousness because apart from him, you are a sinner. Yet, But in him, in his righteousness, you have his righteousness. That innocence, that blessedness of Jesus Christ has been transferred to you. It has been applied directly to you. He is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your holiness. Because in him, you have been washed clean through the washing of water by the word. In Christ, you are holy. And and by his grace, you are being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And finally, Jesus Christ is your redemption. And the gifts of wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification would not come to us apart from the gift of redemption. We are redeemed, bought back from slavery to sin, death and the devil, by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Jesus, confirmation students, he is your righteousness, your wisdom, your sanctification, your redemption. We've been asked to consider our calling. We've been reminded of the reality of who we are in Christ. And finally, I believe that Paul would ask us again to consider where our faith rests. Consider where our faith rests. Look at these verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As we read this text, it's important to remember the context in which it was written. Paul wrote this letter to the congregation in the city of Corinth. Uh, It was a city that he had visited, and you can actually read about that founding of that church in Acts chapter 18, and he knew the people there well. Paul knew the Corinthians. Um, We we know from Scripture that he stayed in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half, and that's actually one of his longer stays, uh, barring imprisonment and those sorts of things. 18 months. He knew them well. He invested in them. He discipled them. He baptized a handful of them. He conducted funerals for them. He ate with them. He shared his life with them. They knew him well, and he knew them And he also knew some of the false teachers uh, that, that were there as well, false teachers from other philosophical schools of thought that, that crept in and tried to sway the Corinthians away from the gospel. These, these false philosophical teachers were called sophists, and they had a love of eloquent speak. Um, they had the ability to speak convincingly in, in all, all matters, including legal, business, and religious and political contexts. People were swayed not by logic or reason or argumentation, but whether or not the person was a good speaker. I would not be a good sophist. But Paul presented the simple message of the gospel simply. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He says, I gave you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection for you. Paul says, Christ loved the world, gave himself for you. And that was the message that Paul had for the church in Corinth. And he had a lofty ambition for himself. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Now, this ambition of Paul isn't him displaying a willing ignorance of life or the struggles or the hardships that people go through. He isn't saying he knows it all and has graduated, but what Paul is saying is that he did not want anything in his life to overshadow the message or the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Confirmation students, let this be your ambition as well. Know Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. Let nothing in your life, no hobby, no sport, no career, no other person, no other pursuit, let nothing overshadow your love for Jesus Christ and his, his death for you. And finally, I think Paul would have us know that our faith rests in the power of God. Your faith rests in the power of God. You don't believe in a person or in a church or in your own confirmation. Your faith rests in the power of Jesus Christ and God alone. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want to leave you with with this thought, confirmation students and and the rest of us as well. Uh, Most career paths have some sort of continuing education uh, required of them, don't they, right? When you go to college, you get your four-year degree. Just because you spent four years studying there and getting that degree doesn't mean that that, that you've got it all. So for example, right, you go to college for nursing, you get your four-year degree, doesn't mean you've got everything figured out, right? Most career paths require their employees to engage in some sort of continuing education. I looked it up this week. Minnesota requires nurses to engage in 24 hours of, con- of continuing ed every two years. Uh, teachers, right? They, you attend professional development days each year to gain new skills and, and be refreshed in the education standards of the day, right? Even auto mechanics are, are required to, to take continuing ed for the new technology that's being implemented into cars, right? As a pastor, I have the opportunity to engage in conferences and retreats and lectures, workshops, those sorts of things. None of us are really ever done in our chosen field. And the point of it all, confirmation students, even if you insist on on equating confirmation with graduation, there is still continuing education that you need to engage in. We did not teach you everything that you need to know, not because we're withholding secret knowledge from you, right? We just don't have time in the 60-some-odd sessions between the two years to teach you everything. Uh, There's always more to know. There's always more to learn. There's always more to dive into. Uh, One of my favorite quotes, and I'll leave you with this, is from the uh, the British preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon died in 19... or 1892, he's known as the, the Prince of Preachers because of his uh, great oratory skills and because of his, uh, all of his copious amounts of writing. And Spurgeon, who was a pastor for 38 years, said this. He said, The more you read the Bible and the more you meditate upon it, the more you will be astonished with it. He who is but a casual reader of the Bible does not know the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the mighty meaning contained in its pages. There are a certain time when I discover a new vein of thought and I put my hand to my head and I say in astonishment, oh, it is wonderful. I never saw this before in scriptures. You will find, and I love this, you will find that the scriptures enlarge as you enter them. The more you study of them, the less you will appear to know of them, for they widen out as we approach them. You are never done learning. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Jesus who died for us. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our redemption. And thank you that we are in him. Lord, and I pray that as we go from this place today too, that we would not forget that wonderful, vital, important truth. We are in Christ. Amen.